What was the word of God before the Bible? Comedic science versus Christianity. One of the questions I often get asked is, did ancient Kemet have a Bible or some sort of holy book? It's usually asked by someone that is or was Christian. The unspoken implication in that question is that since Christianity had a book to tell you what to believe, everybody, including Kemet, had to have one as well. The assumption is having a book, like a Bible, was the norm in antiquity like it is today. But the question is asked from an understandably religious bias. If all you've known is religion, you will think in religious ways about spirituality. When you grow up Christian, you make a few assumptions. Number one, Christianity came straight out of the box, fully formed with everything we believe in modern times. Number two, that everyone believes in something just like all Christians believe in Jesus. Number three, that reading was something everyone has always done, even in ancient times. These are biases that I must address before I can address the idea of a word of God in ancient Kemet. I'm going to break down the Bible history and explain the African view of the word of God so it will forever and consistently be Baroque. Here's what you will learn in this video. Why did Christianity need to form a Bible? What problem did creating a Bible solve for the church? How did these Christian doctrines shape your way of thinking about how you move through life? What did ancient Africans view as the word of God? What does the Bible say? What is the real word of God? So let's move forward. Why did Christianity need to form a Bible? Understand, at the time of the formation of Christianity in the 4th century, there were literally thousands of manuscripts floating around claiming authority about spiritual matters. The Catholic Church was in a theological battle with Gnostics who did not believe in a corporealized Christ. The religion you know as Christianity today developed over 400 years. The concept of Christ existed at least 10,000 years before Christianity in Africa as part of the Temple of Ptah teachings. Greek Gnostics had taken what amounts to a fringe aspect of the Egyptian mystery schools and created their own schools in Europe and Asia Minor. The Gnostic preachers, or prophets as they were known back then, would teach on how to gain wisdom and enlightenment. Prophet originally meant speaker not someone that could see the future. It would be closer to your idea of a preacher today. So when you see that word in the Bible, recognize what its meaning is in its historical context, not how you've defined it today. For these prophets, men and women, Christ was a state of enlightenment, not a person. It had been that way for thousands of years before Christianity invented a man today you call Jesus. Christ was never his surname. The Gnostic preachers had followers that subscribed to their teachings. Many of them had certain books that they would preach from. The fact that Gnostics wrote this ancient knowledge down was a breakdown in ancient African oral tradition. In the African esoteric tradition, the knowledge was forbidden to be written down. The Gnostic preachers and books would teach ideas like Christ is within you. These preachers were more closely aligned with the ancient comedic idea of Christ as an archetype of human expression as a soul. It was a title designating an enlightened individual. For the Gnostics, no one needed an intermediary like a priest or preacher to connect to God.
They taught that you could go within and talk to God personally. That became a threat for the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. They didn't want people that felt like they could talk to God themselves because that meant they couldn't stand on the claim that Jesus passed his knowledge on to his disciples, who then passed it on exclusively to the priests and bishops of the church. The church decreed that God did not talk directly to anyone after Jesus and his disciples. They called it apostolic succession. In other words, Jesus gave the knowledge to the apostles, the apostles give the knowledge to the bishops, and they ultimately pass it on to the people. A flesh and blood Jesus made them special because he bestowed knowledge on them and no one else. How convenient. They had to find a way that the words of Jesus could be passed on and everyone could be on the same page, literally. Because the Gnostics didn't subscribe to the idea of a resurrected flesh and blood Christ, the church denounced Gnostics and their teachings on an inner Christ as heretical. These same men learned their information from the Gnostics for 300 years until the Council of Nicaea in 325 CE. There was still no official Bible then. That didn't happen until approximately 40 years later. So, that was the backdrop of the climate of the time that the Bible was formed in. The Bible is as much a political document as it is a supposed holy book. Arguments over theology shaped the Bible from the beginning and the power of the Roman military shoved it down the throats of anyone that dared to oppose the church. Christianity developed over time. It didn't come out the box like we know it today. The oddest thing was that the Catholic Church pushed the development of the Bible to a population that was 90% illiterate. It was never meant for the masses to read, only to be heard and directed by the Pope and the bishops. So what problem did creating a Bible solve for the church? So the problem the church needed to solve was, how was an orthodox or right-thinking Christian supposed to tell the difference between truth and heresy or wrong-thinking of the Gnostics? Now, mind you, heresy is only a matter of perspective. There were many different Christian sects in many different countries by the 4th century, and they were not unified in their beliefs. The Catholic Church had to find a way that they could unify all the different Christians and let them know what orthodox or right thinking was. The new idea they came up with was that Christ incarnated on earth and gave his message to the apostles. There was no belief in a flesh and blood Jesus before the Council of Nicaea. Many at the Council of Nicaea that were wanting to stay true to the original teachings argued against a flesh and blood Jesus. The idea of a man dying and coming back to life was absurd to the Gnostics and anyone at that time who wanted to be true to the original teachings. Think about it. If someone told you that a man around the corner or over in another state, died for three days and came back to life, what would you say to that? That's what most people thought back then, too. When the church came up with that idea of resurrection of Jesus, they thought that they were crazy. The Catholic Church won the battle and got everyone to agree to apostolic succession and that Jesus was God and man 300 years after his supposed death and resurrection. No one could verify it. But most importantly, they couldn't deny it either. Try to imagine how you could verify something today from 300 years ago. It would be pretty difficult to do. 
Years later, they came up with the idea of putting the accepted books of the time into the first Bible. The Bishop of Alexandria, Egypt, Athanasius, circulated a list of accepted books to be included in the Bible in 367 CE. They became known as the Codex Sinaiticus. I stress accepted because there were books like those we call Apocrypha today. The Gnostics preached from them but didn't have the right message for the Catholic Church and they were excluded from the Bible. They excluded those books because they would give you too much information. For example, there were books of the Gospel of Thomas that had a different message taught by Jesus. The Gospel of Thomas talked about finding the light within. Thomas means twin. In the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus identified Thomas as his twin, but also says that his light is part of everything we could see and experience in the universe. That's a very different message from the church, which was Jesus was an exception to everything in the universe. The Gospel of Philip said rather than being called a Christian, any person with inner knowing or gnosis should be called a Christ. Again, a different message than the church. Many of the books the church did not allow in the Bible had these types of messages about Jesus. These messages were staying true to the ancient African teachings that were thousands of years old. They also recognized that Jesus was never human. Both of these messages from these gospels and others subscribe to the idea that Christ is a state of a person becoming aware of their own personal issues or gaining enlightenment. Unlike the church that taught that Jesus was someone you needed to look to for your truth. Believe in him and you would be saved. Whereas the ancient teachings were about doing inner work to grow and expand. The church basically said no inner work was needed. Just accept Jesus and believe and salvation is yours. In the beginning, it was salvation from ignorance. That message obviously changed over the centuries to being saved from hell for the church. Because Christianity was claiming they had a new, never-before-heard or seen revelation and the ultimate truth, believers had to appeal to authority to validate their claims. That authority became the Bible. In this way, a Christian would effectively be despiritualized because your authority is outside of you. You don't trust that inner call unless it lines up with what the Bible or someone in authority says. Spiritual work is really about you developing your spiritual self-esteem and having the courage to follow your own heart and inner power. As a soul, your higher self is always in communication with you in many ways. But if you don't know how to recognize the signs and trust them, you cut yourself off from the important and necessary information. Spirituality is about your personal connection to the source of all, not to an authority outside yourself. So how does the indoctrination of Christianity shape your long-term thinking? Christianity at its essence attacks your self-esteem. And unless you examine these religious doctrines, you will live with many of them because it's all you know. Its doctrines of original sin is anti-human. It implies an automatic guilt that forces individuals to find relief from that guilt by inventing imaginary devils and demons that blame can be placed on for undesirable behavior. You know, the devil made me do it. In ancient Egyptian teachings, ignorance was the path to wickedness. 
If you think about it, Christian teachings were that Adam and Eve got kicked out of the Garden of Eden for sin. What was that sin? Eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In other words, the ability to have knowledge and make choices about one side or the other is a sin. As Christianity is practiced, ignorance is viewed as being spiritually elevated. Think about it. In Christianity, those that follow the doctrines with the least amount of questioning and obedience are the most faithful, which implies the most spiritual. Obedience becomes more valued than individual self-expression. Blind belief and obedience creates individuals with poor self-esteem that plays out in so many of our isms within society today. At the foundation of racism, sexism, homophobia, etc. is rigidity of beliefs that make people feel that they are under attack within a society that is forever changing. Individual expression will be forever a threat to rigid rules and doctrines. The early Christians fought against individualized spirituality taught by the Gnostics. When I say individualized, I mean having the ability to learn and gain wisdom through your own unique expression of the Creator. The Gnostics learned all of what they know from the ancient Egyptians. However, when they began to put the secret teachings in writing, it was a breakdown in oral traditions of Africans and the mystery schools. They set in motion the events that spawned the Bible and the erroneous belief that it was the word of God and the ultimate authority in your life. So what did the ancient Africans view as the word of God? The original concept of the word of God has nothing to do with a book of any kind. What we know as the hieroglyphs through the Greeks were called the Medunetur in Egypt. A direct literal translation would be words of nature. But to think of it literally would be a mistake. One has to understand how the ancient Africans metaphorically represented the idea of a word. For the ancient Africans, the essence of nature was what it termed today as energy and vibration. An idea that would be more descriptive than vibration is harmony. Everything in nature is created and evolves because of a harmonious congruence. Harmony or vibration is expressed in nature through and through. Harmony is how nature is systematically formed and organized. When they spoke poetically of the word, they metaphorically meant vibration or harmony. The original comedic language is no longer spoken in Egypt, but it was a language based on sound. The ancient Africans believed the essence of anything in the universe was its vibrational complex. Through the modern science of cymatics, it has been proven that sound produces form. The ancients knew this as well. You can see this idea symbolized with the Egyptian natures of Ptah and Osiris. They're both one-legged as if wrapped all the way up to their chest, but both have their hands free. They both have something to do with the Ka as that which fixes spirit into place. They both are standing on what looks like a pedestal of some kind. It actually symbolizes the idea of sound that forms vibrational structures. Their hands free means that they have the ability to create. Ptah is the creator on a universal level, and Osiris is particular on the earth level. Point being, the ancients knew sound was important. If you knew the vibrational essence of the name, you possessed its power. 
You can see a connection to this idea in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, when it states, And Adam gave names to all the cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. If you've been keeping up with my videos, then you know Adam is a cognate of the Egyptian god or nature, Atum. The idea that God gave everything in nature, a name, or a vibrational complex would make more sense than Adam doing it. But again, you see the church hides ancient knowledge in plain sight. I grew up with the idea taught to me that there is power in the name of Jesus. Well, that name didn't exist until the 15th century, but the idea goes back thousands of years in Africa. Horus, or Jesus, was a healer, right? In other words, sound can be important to helping you heal. This idea goes into what I call Next Level Comedic Science 2.0. It goes beyond just learning and into applying the knowledge in your everyday life. Like how can you use sound and thought to produce positive effects in your life? Now, let's examine the idea of sound or harmony to understand what the true word of God is beyond the book and how it relates to you. So what does the Bible say? In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, it states, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Guess where the idea originated from? You guessed it. Ancient Africa, specifically Egypt. Christianity teaches that Jesus as the word was the only representation of God on earth. The thing is, as a historical reference to Jesus, this is false. The Christian idea effectively obscures ancient truth in plain sight again with its deceit. Here's what I mean. In ancient times, the word or logos, as the Greeks called it, was a metaphor. It was a double entendre in that it has meaning on multiple levels. This idea was represented by the mythological Ra. I know we're told that Ra is a sun god, but that's just not true. Ra's essence is the formation of creation. Allow me to explain. In ancient comedic terms, the word became the metaphor for vibration. Remember, sound produces form. We even talk of a big bang as part of creation in modern science. Think about it. What has to happen before a word can be uttered? Your vocal cords have to vibrate. In the ancient book of coming forth by day, or book of the dead as it is commonly known, mythological Ra states, I am Ra, I am the eternal, I am the word, I created the word. That was at least 5,000 years before the gospel of John. That means Ra is the source of all creation. That means that vibration or sound is a component of all creation. But how is Ra always connected to the sun or being a sun god? It's because photons or electromagnetic light is another component of Ra. The word myth etymologically comes from the Egyptian word muthoi, which one meaning is wise sayings. Wise sayings can be enlightening. Therefore, the word can also be light or enlightenment. The sun shines and lights or illuminates the world for all mankind. So the idea of the word of God should take on the ancient paradigm. 
That means as a physical body, you are a symphony of cells that have a frequency of light and sound to form your essence from spirit. Ra says, I am the word. That means within you is the spirit of God. You are the human representation of source as light and sound. As a function of nature, Horus, a.k.a. Jesus, became the newly enlightened soul through the word. Ra is an aspect within Horus, but Horus specifically references the instant the enlightenment occurs. I'll use a slice of bread as an analogy to explain how the ancients thought. Ra, as the word, is like a slice of bread. Let's say you wanted to put a slice of bread in the oven and create a piece of toast. Once the toast is done, the toast is the new and specific state that the bread is in. Ra is the bread and Horus is the new state of toast, so to speak. At its essence, toast is bread, but it's a change of state from bread. Ra is the word and Horus or Jesus is referencing the newly enlightened state of being. That's when you know you become a Christ. As a Christ, the word is your essence as a vibrational complex at a new higher level of consciousness. The word is the essence of source. The word is light and sound. Now, when I say you, I'm using the ancient African paradigm of the concept. That means you as an S-O-U-L, which is a homonym of the Latin word S-O-L or light on its journey back to the noon. You are the word made flesh. John chapter 1 Verse 14 states the same exact idea. But we were taught that this word that became flesh was an exception called Jesus. In fact, it's all of us that is the word. It's everything that's in the universe. You are a vibrational being made in the image of the source of all things. Science says it. Ancient Kemet said it. And so does the Bible. Christianity simply twisted everything to make carnal Jesus the great exception. The idea that the entire universe has components of light and sounds is not just woo-woo. It's confirmed scientific fact. In New Age vernacular, it's the idea of a hologram. If you break off a piece of a hologram, the whole can still be seen in the piece. You are a piece or image of the whole. So what is the real word of God? The ancient Africans didn't have a book that was the word of God. Through their oral traditions, the word became the vibrational essence that represented God. That's what their writings called the Medunetra meant. They were the sounds of nature or sounds of God. They had an idea called the true word or makaru. It meant to vibrate as the creator. When you see the term true word biblically, they're speaking of you understanding the vibrational essence. This is comedic science 2.0. The Africans taught that everything that began from the source had the will to return to the source and merge with it. But the merging is not a physical one. It's the ability to vibrate on the same frequency as the source. That means as a soul, 
a being of light and sound, you must assimilate experience and vibrationally reconcile those experiences to the point of being steady and balanced. That means you develop a knowing and attitude that the universe is a friendly place. That means you don't walk in fear or anger or hate. You simply love who you are and all the rest that represents the creator. When you reach this point, you will have raised your consciousness and your vibration. It's a constant process that you're working through in life. Too many people think that being spiritual means that you shouldn't have difficulties. That's just not true. You live in a universe based on duality. In other words, the opposites of light and dark exist as potential in any situation. As you begin to learn and grow, you handle difficulties differently as you become enlightened. You illuminate the darkness from within. That doesn't mean something negative necessarily. Illuminate could mean you simply become aware of something. When you operate with this knowledge, you are being the word of God. You never needed to read a book to find truth. Your truth is within you. That was the threat to Christian fathers. That you wouldn't need to depend on them for your knowledge and wisdom. A book cannot contain or access all knowledge within the universe. The answers to your love life, your career, your finances can be found within you. You must tap into the light within with confidence and certainty. Just like any book, the Bible cannot be and never was the word of God. It's a misapplication of comedic teachings. Depending on the exoteric interpretation of the Bible keeps you in a low vibrational experience. This next statement is metaphorically the tip of the iceberg. So listen carefully. You are the light of the world or word of God made flesh. That's comedic science level 2.0. The end. You can subscribe to get my next updates, like and share with others so that they may be enlightened as well.